Welcome to the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Cranson. As you know, if you've been listening to this podcast regularly or keeping up with the news the past couple of years, the pandemic launched what some would call an epidemic of speeding across the roads in Michigan and many other states. I want to examine that more closely. We've talked to some national experts in the past, and we've talked to some people with Michigan State Police about it and what they're seeing. Today, we have some new data, thanks to the University of Michigan Transportation Research Institute. And I'm fortunate to have with me Carol Flanagan, who is a research professor at UMTree and director of the Data Center. She looks at a lot of information related to safe and sustainable transportation. So, Dr. Flanagan, thank you for taking time to be here. Sure, no problem. So, let's start high level with what you think has been going on the, the past few years and how it relates to, you know, higher crash rates, not necessarily early on. The, the crash rates themselves were lower, but the crashes that did occur were more severe and more people died. And what what does your data show you? Right. So, yeah, so it was, it was actually really sort of interesting when we started getting data from the pandemic from 2020 and started looking at it, because when you took it from a 10,000 foot view, there were sort of these two messages. So people, of course, stopped driving. I mean, almost completely stopped driving in March, April, and then we're on the year we're driving, the total miles were substantially lower. And yet, the total fatalities was actually up a little bit. When you initially look at the long-term trend, the total fatalities for 2020 actually looked like it was in line with what had been about a 10-year increasing trend. So, um, so to, to try to you know make a word picture, starting from about the end of the Great Recession, when people started to have more money and started to get back on the road, fatalities have actually slowly been creeping up on the you know on the whole and within lots of categories. So if you look at pedestrians and um, pedestrian fatalities or alcohol fatalities, these things have been kind of creeping up. And 2020 the totals looked like they were kind of in line with that trend if you just look at that graph but then when you sort of look at the when you look at driving miles there's this huge drop in 2020 so so then if you think about dividing one of those by the other one you get a rate and suddenly the fatality rate exploded in 2020 and um and so when we started digging into that you know, what became clear was that the sort of risky behaviors like drunk driving, speeding, which were which were focusing on um, drugged driving, unbelted uh, fatalities, all of those things really spiked in the summer of 2020 after the lockdowns um, eased up. And so whereas driving in general was still down and even crashes in general were down by quite a bit suggesting that people were either doing extra risky things or anybody who was inclined to do something risky didn't stop that. The things that stopped for the pandemic were maybe more, you know, commuting driving, which is which is pretty ordinary. So hopefully that made sense. No, it did. And I saw it anecdotally. You probably did, too, uh, when, when mm -hmm. I was on the road and even even on the local streets, not just on the freeways, that people were uh, just more aggressive. And I, I never understood, like, we're in a pandemic. Why are we in such a hurry? 
And I think maybe <laughs> it's just it's just stress. I mean, I don't know how much of your research overlaps or delves into behavior, but you know, what are, what are some of the causes you think? How does it relate? I mean, clearly just not as many cars being on the road makes people drive faster, but yeah, that's a good question. And of course, you know, the the data that we have access to don't they are police reported crash data. And so they don't exactly ask people, what were you thinking? Um, and, and <laughs> you know, as I which is an interesting question. Um, and I imagine, and and to be honest, I'm I'm unaware of other research, although I'm sure that you know, that people have sort of asked that question. But if you think about kind of the, the in a sense, the crashes speaking for themselves, it was clearly the risky behaviors that not only remained, like, so imagine, so I, I have several sort of theories about it. And, um, you know, one of those theories is, one of those sort of ideas is that, people who, let's say, were commuting, stopped commuting. So if commuting driving is, you know, occurs at two times of day, it's it's really quite safe on a per mile basis. People are generally not drunk. Um, they mostly can't speed because there's congestion, you know, and so generally what it results in is a whole bunch of rear end fender benders that don't result in fatalities. That's sort of typical. So if you take away all of that kind of driving, and what we saw in the crash data was that the the amount of rear end crashes was down like almost 40 percent in 2020. So so you take away that kind of driving and you leave. So this is one theory is you leave behind all the other stuff that that because, you know, people and you can think about risky choices. So in the pandemic, going out was a risky choice going out without a mask. Now, we don't know, obviously, if people are wearing masks, but generally people who might, it is plausible that people who are comfortable, you know, going out in the pandemic might also be sort of generally more, you know, risk comfortable, risk um, and so on. So, but so that's one idea is that is that, you know, I call that the only the good miles disappeared kind of thing. And then you would get this basic, but, you know, this this sort of retention of the of the bad outcomes. But when you look closely at the month to month um, changes, the summertime, all of those risky behaviors were way above normal levels. So it wasn't just that, you know, and anybody who was going to drive drunk still drove drunk. There was something beyond that. And it seems so another kind of idea that I have is that the open roads or frustration over the pandemic itself, which was certainly frustrating. It was frustrating to be locked down for anybody. It was stressful. And so, you know, the the combination of those things potentially led people to speed more than they would have otherwise. Yeah, it's almost like grinding your teeth, right? The things yeah. that you do subconsciously out of stress and and maybe hitting the accelerator is is just like that. You know, yeah. You just, you're just, you're wound up and you're, yeah, you're angry, you're stressed. And so, you right. know, instead of, I, I guess, an instinct to protect oneself, <laughs> that kind of yeah, goes right. away. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and again, you know, I don't, I don't have data that says that that's what people were doing, but it is, it is intuitively plausible. And I think, you know, anybody listening to this knows how they felt at the time. I can tell you that I was, I was pretty stressed out and frustrated when we first were, you know, sent home and, and stuff. And so the, the, like I said, the, the sort of risky behaviors component, the crashes 
individual crashes were just more deadly at that time, um, you know, on average. And those behaviors were higher than normal. Yeah. So it, it this is consistent with the idea that people were possibly blowing off steam in some way. In terms of mm-hmm. your own stress, I mean, anybody in academia, whether they're teaching at the secondary level or at the college level, uh, what the students and, and professors were going through, trying to figure it all out and still be productive. I mean, right. I, I can imagine how difficult that was and, and, and still is to an extent as people are still trying to come out of this and sort out, you know, the new reality. So going forward, you know, one thing that Office of Highway Safety Planning is is talking about with conjunction with their umbrella agency, the Michigan State Police, is some stepped up enforcement um, over the last couple of weeks of June. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like, uh, based on your research in the past, can that, I mean, it could make a difference during that period, especially the more that they get the word out through media, let people know that this is happening. Right. Can, that, can that have some long-term effect? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly hope so. So the the evidence on high visibility enforcement is that it works, that, you know, it's not so much in, in it's the combination of the enforcement being present, but also making sure that everybody knows that that's what's going on. So that when you're out, you know, you that that if you are a person who is inclined to speed, you might think, ah, I don't want to do because I don't want to pay the fine and I don't want to get caught and, and so on that that you might make different choices. And I think that, you know, what seemed to be going on prior to the pandemic was that was that we were sort of hitting a, you know, a, a whatever the the normal level was at that time with respect to speeding. Um, and I was actually going to take a quick look at the graph, but I don't think speeding wasn't super much on the rise, um, at least in terms of fatalities and speeding. Yeah, it was actually quite, sorry, I'm, it, I know you can't see it, but I'm looking at a graph that runs from 2011 to 2020 and, and speeding related fatalities are basically flat through that whole period. But and then they jumped from 2019, right? When they Well, they, yes and no. So what really happened, this is kind of what I was trying to, and, and I know it's hard to, you have to like build a word, an appropriate word picture, but essentially what happened in 2020 is that the total number of speeding crashes was was in that same flat range. It wasn't higher. What, what changed was that there were so many fewer miles. So when you look at the rate of speeding fatalities, it jumps. When you look at the sheer number, it's, you know, it continues to be flat. So if you think about that, you say, well, you know, that's a kind of a weird coincidence that it landed at about the same level. But what's really going on is from 2011 to 2019, there was this kind of flat level of speeding in fatalities in speed to fast crashes. And so speeding was occurring at kind of you know, whatever its level was, people were, you know, people were speeding. Sometimes that resulted in deadly crashes. It's not a good idea, but, you know, it was kind of at a level. And then suddenly in 2020, there's way fewer people on the road. There's way less driving, so way fewer miles. And so then speeding, and you can see it in the month to month, speeding uh, related fatalities actually spiked in July. The total was offset by having hardly anybody on the road in March, April. But now what appears to be happening in 20, what appeared to happen in 2021 was that people like notched up their level. So so it's like you can imagine this kind of jump in speeding and then and then suddenly you you reach this sort of new, you know, new normal is kind of the 
the phrase. And so enforcement and especially high visibility enforcement and sort of returning to the messaging that was, uh, you know, that occurred prior to the pandemic would be a reason, you know, is one reasonable tool for trying to put downward pressure. Let's at least, I mean, you know, it's kind of, it's sort of too bad to say, well, could we please get back to 2019 levels? But, you know, that's that's the, the current reality. And so if we can push down on people's inclination to speed, if we can kind of relearn reasonable driving behavior and, and then we can kind of push down from, you know, then, then obviously what we want is to, is to reduce it further going forward. If that I made think, any sense. Yeah. No, it makes sense. And I think you're absolutely right about the enforcement and the, the threat of enforcement. And often it's the threat of the financial pain. You know, we know that from studies that young people, especially who feel invincible, they're not so scared from the messaging that says you might die. So mm-hmm. you focus on how much it's going to cost you if you get a, a speeding ticket or if you get a drunk driving arrest, which OHSP had a campaign that focused on that. And, you know, you saw the young male being put in handcuffs and talking, thinking about how much it was going to cost him. That yeah. that makes a dent. Uh, the governor's Highway Safety Association uh, expert has told me that they found in some studies that the fear of disfigurement affects teens more. They're, they're more scared, you know, of, of suffering an injury that hurt their face than they are dying. So it's all about trying to find the things yeah. that resonate with the people right. the, most, the most vulnerable, the most likely to, to do this kind of behavior. So right. tell me your theory on on this. If if we know that speeds increased and maybe gradually and that we saw leveling off and then, as you say, back to 2011, coming out of the recession, we started seeing more people more crashes, just more risky behavior. Our, our cars are safer than ever. We yeah. have all kinds of technology. Umtree is is a big researcher in this field and works with OEMs on on coming up with these kinds of things that are working, testing them. And you know whether it's uh, as we move toward automated vehicles, the incremental changes with adaptive cruise control and lane control and all those things. So. I mean, where are we going ultimately if we keep making our cars safer yet we have, you know, more crashes? Is is, is it, are we creating a mindset of of I'm in a bubble and nothing can happen to me? Or what what do you think is going on there? Yeah, that's a super interesting question. And and I know like if if you read if you've been reading the news um about sort of NHTSA's investigation into Tesla crashes and other automated vehicle or you know, ADAS, we call it advanced driver assistance systems. Um, they are definitely concerned that there's a tendency on the part of the driver to become kind of complacent, to over-rely on, on systems as they are now, that kind of thing, which is, which is quite an interesting, interesting question. So the, the basic bottom line on vehicle technology, so again, I, I use the term ADAS, um, which is which is what a lot of people have in their cars. They're not just Teslas. You know, you mentioned adaptive cruise control. There's lane centering. There are also sort of more emergency style safety systems like automatic automatic emergency braking, um, blind spot warning, lane change warning, um, and so on. So one thing that we know is that especially the frontal um, automatic emergency braking works really well. Our estimates are that it reduces frontal crashes by like 50%. 
And we also know that electronic stability control, which was mandated back in 2011, works really well. And you can see in the data that, so it reduces um, loss of control and rollover crashes. And, and it's, you can clearly see it in the data that because they mandated it, there was like this sudden spike to 100% fleet penetration in new vehicles. And you see this big, you know, this big drop in, um, in rollovers for those vehicles. And, you know, similarly, AEB is being, no, AEB isn't mandated, but the auto manufacturers have generally committed to having it in all their new vehicles um, in a short time frame, And so it's, you know, it's ramping up. And, you know, in, in automated vehicles like robot cars um, really show a lot of promise in, well, for one thing, they don't, they 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 won't speed they definitely don't drink you know some of these they sort of don't get distracted right they, right exactly so they have you know the, there are other challenges with with those vehicles obviously trying to you know people people's brains are very very flexible and and can sort of manage new situations in ways that are are challenging for avs but in principle the you know the promise over the next I don't know, you know, five, 10 years is, is certainly huge. And so, you know, how I, th one of the things, one of the trends that, that was happening, you know, actually a while ago was a shift pretty quickly from warning systems, which are meant to engage the driver. Hey, you seem to be coming up too close to that vehicle in front of you. That those were sort of the, the primary systems a number of years ago. And, and the, manufacturers shifted pretty quickly to automated systems. So this is like with um, forward crashes, which again are, you know, the ones that are managed the best by automation. So you have like the warning, you hope that the driver hits the brakes, but then you have the automatic emergency braking, which is going to be like, ah, we're way too close. I'm just going to hit the brakes for you. And it turns out that AEB, the automation version, is much more effective than Ford Collision Warning, the version that tries to get the driver to, you know, to do something. So, I, yeah, no, I think that it's incremental and we have to adapt to it and we have to accept it. There are so right. many people, you know this better than anybody, that are say that they're opposed to automated vehicles let alone the concept of fully autonomous i think tesla made a, a huge mistake i mean i understand from a marketing standpoint why they use the term autopilot but it mm, was a yeah. it was it was a huge mistake i think and because people think of a pilot in a cockpit getting up and being able to walk away you know and it's just yeah. not a mindset that that, that you want to create right now but i also think that over over time we're going to accept that while we all think, you know, I'm a good driver, but those other people aren't, that yeah. that the computer is a better driver. And if we didn't mm -hmm. think the computer was better than us, then then we would never use a calculator, right? right? So stay with us. We'll have more on the other side of this important message. Did you know that most work zone crashes are caused by inattentive motorists? It only takes a split second of distraction to dramatically change lives forever. The Michigan Department of Transportation reminds you to slow down, follow all signs, and pay attention when driving through work zones, because all employees deserve a safe place to work. Work zone safety. We're all in this together. Tell me how, how long, I mean, this is crystal ball stuff and, you know, nobody's going to hold you to it, but how long do you think, based on your colleagues at Umtree and what they're seeing and what you hear from industry, until we really are, you know, like the cars in 
you know, in, in sci-fi movies and, and futuristic looks like Minority Report, where we are fully automated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a, that's a, <laughs> a very funny question. So I think I'm trying to remember when it was. I think in something like 2015, I believe it was. I was on a panel somewhere and got asked, and and there were like other panelists, one of whom was actually you know working in development of automated systems, and they asked us the same question. And I think I said 2025 at that time, and now we're at 2022, and it's clearly you know harder than than it looks. And and if you, I I also watched a um, a pretty interesting piece on on Tesla and Elon Musk uh, the other day where where they showed a sequence of clips of him in like 2017 saying we're one year out and then in 2018 he says we're one year out and then you know and it goes on like that and you know my, I haven't seen that <laughs> yeah yeah no it's 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 very good actually um but the what so from working with, you know, with talking to OEMs and talking to AB companies and stuff, you know, what's clear is that the the problem, lots of, a huge proportion of the problem of, of driving and normal driving is is really pretty well tackled by AVs. And, and the problem is that now we're into the Oh, diminishing returns isn't quite the right word, but but the each incremental change is is harder and harder. And so, you know, sorting out the nuances of kind of things, ways that people think about it, the nuances of cues that human drivers get from other drivers about what they're about to do that, you know, that the ABs don't necessarily do. And so and, and I'll get to your actual question in a minute. But it, but the other thing that I kind of want to comment that I find really, I don't know, fast, I mean, it makes sense, but it's fascinating. But, but the thing is, when we have automation all over the place, the problem is so much simpler because those vehicles can all tell each other what they're planning. They can co-plan together and they'll be like, okay, you go first and, you know, and then I'll go after you. And, and it's, so the coordinated the, the version where all the vehicles are talking to each other and coordinated is so much easier to solve than the version that they are that the companies are forced to solve right now, which is to have a little lonely automated vehicle tooling around in traffic with a whole bunch of humans whose you know state of mind and plans are unknown. And and so I think that's one of the ironies that I find is that is that the problem that they are that they have to solve now is actually substantially harder than the problem that will need to be solved once it kind of gets rolling. So it's a very interesting I, way to think of it. Yeah, you know, so my best guess, I I mean, what is it? In 2015 I said 10 years out and now we're sitting at 2022 and I'm sort of inclined to say 10 years out, but that seems overly pessimistic. So I'll give it I'll adjust forward, let's say 5 years. I think, I mean, you know, Google is deployed as a, there is a taxi service in, in Phoenix, um, you know, Cruise is on the verge of deploying, they, they're, they're um, for, for, you know, for business purposes and things. So we're getting there, but like I said, it's just, it's harder than it looks and people's tolerance for error on the part of a robot is wildly lower than their tolerance for error on the part of fellow humans. Absolutely. And the acceptance is so difficult because the reporting is so often out of context. I mean, it seems like every time there was a crash that involved an Uber with automated technology or a Tesla early on, 
that was the focus. That was the headline. And there was very little follow-up later when you found out that it was the other driver, the human driver that caused the crash. So that that, that makes it difficult. Well, thank you, Dr. Flanagan, for taking time to talk about this. I really appreciate the work that you and Umtree do uh, and, you know, the, the support it provides to to MDOT and to OHSP and to NHTSA and, and others across the country. I think it's really valuable. Sure. Actually, this is fun. Thanks so much for including me. Thank you again for listening to this week's edition of the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I would like to thank Randy Doubler and Corey Petey for engineering this week's podcast. To subscribe to show notes and more, go to Apple Podcasts and search for Talking Michigan Transportation. 